Show them our thanks. And we appreciate you. I appreciate you being here today. We're still enjoying the summer, aren't we? Summer's not over yet. We're still enjoying it. We're having a good time. Are you guys having a good time with the summer? You're like, oh, I'm over. It's too hot. <sighs> no, let's enjoy it. Let's enjoy this season that we're in. We're enjoying our summer as we are looking forward to the fall. We're looking forward to get this Jesus series started. And when that series starts, this space is going to be filled up with all of your, your guests and all the people that you're inviting. There's going to be new people here this coming school year. And so we've got some work to do between now and the fall, between now and when we see these new people show up. We need to make ourselves more attractive. That's what we're working on as a church. We're working on making ourselves more attractive, not physically more attractive, because looking around this room, we've got that covered. I mean, let's, let's be honest, friends. We've got that angle covered. We are working towards making ourselves more spiritually and, I would say, even emotionally attractive, more spiritually attractive, because those of us who are Christians, we have this power. We can attract people, draw people into our lives. We can draw people into our church, and we can draw people to the message and mission of Jesus Christ, but we also have the opposite ability. If we have ugly attitudes within ourselves, an ugly spirit, a spirit of bitterness, we can repel people away from our lives, repel people on out of our church, and consequently drive people away from Jesus. And we don't want to do that. We want to draw people into the message of Jesus. We want to give people an opportunity to get to know Jesus as their Savior. So we need to make ourselves more attractive. And so throughout the summer, we've been taking a look at some of these things, some of these attitudes that we have or some of these things we need to correct, some of these things that make us ugly. We need to get rid of these ugly characteristics, these ugly attitudes, and take on these attractive magnetic attitudes. Today, we're talking about the difference between selfishness and selflessness. This is perhaps the easiest and most obvious of all the topics we've discussed so far over the summer. Everybody would agree that selfishness is ugly. Selfishness is unattractive. When you're around somebody who's being selfish, you do not want to be around that person. But when you're around someone who is selfless and giving and wants to hear your story and wants to spend time with you, when you're, when you're around somebody and you're with them, and you don't feel like you're an inconvenience to them. You know what I mean by that? You know what I mean by that? When you're with someone who's truly selfless, that is magnetic. That will draw you into their lives. And so we don't want to be, I mean, this is obvious. You know this. We don't, as Christians, we don't want to be selfish. We want to be selfless. Way back in 2002, that's before some of you were born, there was a book that came out called The Purpose Driven Life, uh, by a man named Rick Warren. Anybody ever heard of that book? Anybody read that book? Heard of the book? Okay, you've at least heard of that book, okay? Now, I first heard about that book, and I was told there's something wrong with the book. There's something bad about Rick Warren. There's something unbiblical about it. I'm like, well, let me read it for myself. When I actually read the book, I wasn't sure what all the fuss was about because it seemed like this man, this pastor, wrote this book for people who were searching for purpose. And I think he communicated a lot of wonderful Christian concepts to people who were within the Christian community and also to people who are outside of the Christian community. Now, let me say about this about Rick Warren. I don't agree with everything he's ever said and done because he is not Jesus, and neither are you, neither am I. We're not Jesus, right? But he has a lot of wonderful points that he makes in this book, The Purpose Driven Life. And he wrote that book to a community of people, not just Americans, but people all over the world who were searching for purpose in their lives. Way back in 2002, that's something that people were searching for. 
You see, there's this thing that happens in the Western world, it happens in America, not just in America, but we grow up, and we're sort of given these goals. We inherit these goals from the previous generation. We inherit these goals from our culture. The goal of independence, the goal of autonomy, to be able to take care of yourself. I mean, think about it here, and I, I'm so grateful to be an American, and, and yes, it's a flawed country, but I'm so glad that I live here and, and not somewhere else. But in this country, we have these certain ideals, certain things that we're working toward. When you're young, you want to do well in school. That's a great goal, so you can do well in college. You want to do well in college so you can get a good job. You want a good job so you can make a lot of money. Because the more money you have, the more comforts you can afford, right? Money and comforts, being independent, this is what we want. I want money so I can afford the comforts, so I can travel, so I can do fun things, so I can take care of myself and take care of my family. I want money, I want comforts, and then I work really hard, and if I work really hard, I can retire young, and then I can play golf, and then I can die. Yeah! And back in 2002, there were plenty of people looking around and saying, I want something more than that. I want something more out of life than just money and comfort and golf and death. Because all of these things, all of these goals that we sort of just absorb from the culture around us, all of these goals are very self-centered, all about self, the pursuit of taking care of yourself and looking out for number one. And so this book comes out in 2002, chapter 1, the very first sentence of chapter 1. You can read the book if you like. I'm going to give it to you in a nutshell. Chapter 1, first sentence. It's not about you. It's not about you. You know, you don't even have to read the book now. That's what it's about. It's not about you. If you want to have purpose in your life, you have to stop viewing life selfishly. If you're making life about you and your own pursuits and your own wants and your own desires, you will never be satisfied. And you keep reading the book and eventually you realize it's all about Jesus, if you make your life about you fulfilling your own wants and desires, it is fruitless, it feels pointless, it feels meaningless, and you make your way to the end of your life and you say, what have I accomplished? If you make your life about something bigger than you, if you make your life about serving Jesus, it is a life that is abundant, rich with meaning and purpose. One of my favorite books in the Old Testament is the book of Ecclesiastes. There's Solomon, the teacher. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, pursues these different avenues, tries to find meaning in life, and he pursues wealth, and he pursues pleasure, and he pursues comfort. He even pursues uh, knowledge and education and wisdom. And he says, listen, all these things, they lead to nothing. Everything is meaningless. Did you realize there's a book in your Bible that starts by saying, everything is meaningless? Wow, you ought to read the Old Testament some. Everything is meaningless. Vanity upon vanity is a chasing after the wind. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear is full of hearing. It's all meaningless. Except, you get to the end of the book, and then Solomon tells us, where do you find meaning? The only thing there is to do in this world is to serve God and keep his commandments. That's it. Forget about selfish pursuits. Forget about selfish desires. Forget about just trying to accumulate wealth and comforts and live your life for Jesus in service of Jesus and in service of others. That's where we find meaning. Have things changed so much between 2002 and now? Are, people, we're not, are we still searching for purpose? Maybe more, more than ever. Maybe now more than ever in this post-COVID world we live in. There are people searching for purpose. Is what I'm doing worth doing? There are young people graduating high school, graduating college saying, okay, now what? What am I supposed to pursue now? Money? A nice house? 
And then I get a nice house and a bigger house and then what a 401k and like, what, what am I doing? Young people wondering, what am I supposed to do with my life? There are older people, retired stage of life, looking back at the life saying, what have I done? Did I do anything that mattered? Was any of this, did any of it have any kind of point to it? We're still searching for a purpose, maybe now more than ever. And when we live for ourselves, there's just, there's no end to it. There's no end to it. There's no satisfying those desires. You buy the thing you want. You have a sense of satisfaction with that thing, but it is fleeting. And then you want the next thing, and then you go on this vacation. And that was great, but then you have to go on a bigger one. You can buy this house. Like, I'm over-explaining something that you already know. Yes, you already know this. To live for self. To live selfishly is to live a life in vain. Selfishness, it's not just unattractive. It is vanity. It is meaningless. It is purposeless. Let's close in prayer. You know what? Let's not because that's, all, that's a sad place to end. Let's keep looking here. Let's look at this passage that's in your bulletin, okay? This is Paul writing to a group of Christians. Now, he's writing to the Philippians, the church in Philippi. This is a church that he was instrumental in forming. He shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. He helped form them into this believing body that we call a church, a local church. And so, yes, these are originally words from Paul to a specific church. But Hope Community Church, I want to tell you, I think we should take these words personally as if they were written directly to us because we are a church, just like the church of Philippi was a church. We are a church. So let's take this stuff personally. Here's what Paul says. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... You know, once upon a time, this was a group of people that did not know Jesus as Savior, and now that they, now they do. If you have any sense of encouragement from the, from the fact that you are united in Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing or fellowship in the Spirit of God, if any, where was I? If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. In other words, what Paul is saying is, listen, friends, once upon a time, you did not know Jesus. Your lives were different. Your lives, you were, I don't know what you were pursuing, but it wasn't anything worth pursuing. Now things are different. Now you know Jesus as your Savior. If, if you found any benefit from this new life that you have, any benefit, if you find it encouraging to be united with Christ, if you're enjoying it, if you find comfort in His love, if you're finding some kind of sense of satisfaction being united together as a family of believers, as a church, then I want you to do something for me, is what Paul says. This is Paul pleading. Listen, guys, I helped form you. I helped create you as a church. I shared the gospel with you, and I just want you to make my joy complete. I'm pleading with you guys. Here's what I need you to do. Be like-minded. Y'all are family. Act like a family. You all are, you're all part of the same team, so act, act like it. Act like a team. Be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in mind. You're all supposed to be a group of people working toward one common goal, the perpetuation of the gospel and discipleship. Work toward that together. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. We all tracking with that so far? We'll say, yeah, that's, that's good instruction. Yeah, we shouldn't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Sure, Paul, thanks, yeah. Right. 
That's a great instruction. We believe it. We should do it. But Paul takes it a step further. He says, listen, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. All right. <laughs> if I were to sit down with my Bible one morning, open it up somewhere random, and, and read a verse, and that verse says, thou shalt not be selfish, thou shall be selfless. I would read that verse I would agree with it, I would close my Bible, and be on my way. But what Paul is saying here is so much more detailed than that. What is he saying? He's not just saying, hey, you should be selfless. No, he gets into detail here. In humility, value others above yourselves? Look out, their, their interests, their needs should be more important to you than your own interests and needs? How do you do that? Now, you've got the scales here, and here you've got your wants, your needs, your, in your interests are all over here, and here's the needs, the wants, the desires, the interests of everybody else in the world. Which one's heavier in the scales? Well, my own interests, my own needs, my own desires. These are more important to me. Paul says that's where you need to make a shift. You need to make the needs, the interests of others more valuable. This has to have more value to you. So again, I ask, how? Like really, how? Do you guys have any idea? How do, you, how do you do this? How do you live this out? Now listen, I knew this passage was coming. You know, I picked this passage weeks, if not months ago. We were going to be looking at this passage. But in the days leading up to today, I, was, I struggled with that question, the question of how do we live this out? And I have some thoughts for you of how we live this out. How do we make the interest of others more important than our, how do we value them more than our own interests and needs and desires? And I think, I think this is something that has to happen one encounter at a time, one interaction at a time. This is not something we can just say, you know what, I'm going to live selflessly and not selfishly, amen. That's not how this works. One encounter at a time. One experience with your fellow human being at a time. That's how we live this out. How to make the, the needs, the interests of others more valuable than our own needs. Let me give you an example from my own life. Let me tell you one area in my life where I am very selfish. Where I very much struggle with selfishness. And that is when I am in the kitchen. When I'm in the kitchen, when I'm preparing my oatmeal, where I'm making a little bit of a meal, I don't like any other human beings in that space with me, okay? That's just my thing. It's my little selfish, self-centered pet peeve. Is anybody else like that? Does anybody else want to admit that? It drives me crazy. What? Okay, thank you for your honesty, right? What are they doing in there, right? You wait for your window to get in the kitchen. Why are there other people in here? I'm making my oatmeal. It is a multi-stage process. The oats go in, the water goes in, the blueberries go in, then it gets microwaved, then I add the pumpkin seeds, then I add the almonds. There's hand washing in between all these stages. It's a process. I'm at the sink, I'm at the microwave, I'm at the fridge. I don't want any other human beings in that space while I'm in there. But guess what? I live with these other people. <laughs> There's five of us in this house, you know, three-bedroom house, twin home, and they show up in the kitchen. Like all the time, it's the most popular room in the house. And it's time for me to wash my hands and somebody's standing at the sink. <laughs> I'll wait. 
My kids know, daddy's in the kitchen, stay out. Don't you guys know that? You know, daddy's in the kitchen, stay out, right? Listen, I'm not well. I'm admitting this to you. I'm not well, all right? This is not normal behavior. But what I try to do intentionally when someone enters into that space is think about their interests and their needs. And I'm trying, girls, to get better at this. When someone walks... Oh, thank you! Yes! Trying to get better. Thank you for the applause. That's wonderful. Trying to get better. When someone else walks into this space, think about their interests and their needs. Hmm. Perhaps this person, whom I love... Perhaps this person is hungry and trying to satisfy a basic human need, hmm? Yes? Perhaps they should be allowed to access food as well, yes? But I have to be intentional in doing that. So I need to make their interest. You guys are loving this, aren't you? Making their interest more important than my own. I will wait for four seconds before I wash my hands. I will let someone else access the sink. I will let someone else access the fridge. I feel like I've made a mistake saying all this in front of my family because now they know I'm working on it. But I am working on it. When I'm in the kitchen doing my thing, nobody else come in here. When I'm doing that, do you think Holly looks at me and says, wow, I'm just falling in love with him all over again. Do you think she thinks that? You know, of all the things I love about Josh, the fact that he needs to be alone, oh, I'm just so drawn to that. No! She doesn't love that about me. She tolerates it. Yes? Because selfishness is not attractive. It's ugly. It's repulsive. But we can all be selfish. Let me tell you why you're selfish, okay? And maybe you're better than me. Maybe you don't have my weird kind of pet peeve struggles. Maybe you're, you're much more selfless than I am. You don't struggle with it as much as me. But let me, when you are selfish, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why you are selfish. This is about, this, is, this might be the dumbest thing I've ever said to you, but just hear me out, all right? I know I've said a lot of dumb things over the past 11 years. This might sound really dumb, but just hear me out. You are selfish because you are you. Sounds really dumb, doesn't it? You are selfish because you are you. You're the only person who knows what it's like to be you. And of all the people on the planet, you have the most amount of sympathy for yourself, the most amount of empathy for yourself. And you know your own desires better than you know anybody else's. You know your own interests better than you know anybody else's. You know your own needs better than anybody else's. You know where you've been hurt more than you know how anybody else has been hurt. You are selfish because you are you. And I am selfish because I am me. You are the person of all the other people in the world. You're the person you're looking out for the most just because you're you. That's how it works. And so what we need to do here is intentionally switch our way of thinking. This is a matter of perspective, friends. If we could see the world through other people's eyes, that would change. That would change us internally. Oh, wait a minute. If I think about what it's like to be that person and what they must want and what they must need, wow, okay, now I can have compassion and sympathy and empathy for that person. If we could see the world through the eyes of others from that perspective, we would gain in our ability to be selfless. But even more than that, if we could see the world through the eyes of Jesus, that's it. That's the secret to unlock. If we could see our fellow human beings through the eyes of Jesus, that would radically change how we treat our fellow human beings. Because do you know how Jesus sees each one of us? He sees each one of us as worth dying for. Oh, <laughs> 
Talk about putting someone else's needs. He died for us. He put our need for forgiveness and salvation above himself. If we could see our fellow human beings through the eyes of Jesus, that would radically transform our hearts. The problem that so many of us Christians have, and maybe you're the exception of this, but the problem so many of us Christians have is when we first approach church, when we first approach Christianity, when we first approach Jesus, we approach him with selfish motives. We approach Jesus and say, what do you have for me? What do you have to offer me? That's how I approach Jesus. I was a church kid, grew up in church, heard stuff about Jesus, heard stuff about the gospel, heard stuff about, you know, I had a lot of pieces all in the mix, but then I went to this Billy Graham crusade, some of you know who that guy is. Went to this Billy Graham crusade at Bet Stadium back when that was a thing. Man, I feel so old, all these once upon a time things, I'm telling you. Anyway, I go to this Billy Graham crusade, and he tells me that without Jesus, I have to suffer the penalty of my own sinfulness. Apart from Jesus, I go to hell. But Jesus is offering forgiveness of my sins. And more than that, Jesus is offering me eternal life. I said, well, that's what Jesus has to offer me. I'll take it. Sign me up. Let me march my way down to the field and say some kind of sinner's prayer. And let me take what you got for me, Jesus. It was all selfish at that time. I wasn't about, now, what can I do to serve you and help others? Kidding me? No, it was self-centered. Jesus, what do you have for me? And that's how so many people, and it's like, it's just how it works. It's so many of us. When we approach Jesus, when we approach Christianity, when we approach churches, what do you have for me? Okay. It's a starting place. But as we grow in Jesus, we need to move past that starting place. At a certain point, it needs to become not what do you have for me, but what can I do for you, Jesus? How can I serve you? How can I help others? We need to make that switch. I mean, Jesus talks about this thing of being born again. The old you dies, and then you become something new. And Paul talks about this a lot, this transformation that takes place, and the old you is gone, and the new you is here. And the new you is supposed to be selfless, doing what Paul said, making the needs and interests of others more important than your own needs, wants, desires, and interests. We need to intentionally grow up. We need to grow up. We can't keep making our Christianity about ourselves. What can I get out of it? If you started that way, if you're like me, if you started that way, that's fine. Okay, that's where you start. Now it's time for us to grow out of that. This past spring, we talked a little bit about this rampant phenomenon within Christianity, the consumer mentality that exists in Christianity. Do you remember that? We talked about that, this consumer mentality. We walk into a church, what do you have for me? Do you have the kind of preaching I like, the kind of music I like, the kind of facility I like, all that kind of stuff. That consumer mentality towards Christianity. And I told you back then, you can't have that mentality and be a disciple of Jesus. You can't. You choose one. You can't have that self-centered consumer mentality and be a disciple of Jesus. If you have that consumer mentality towards Jesus or Christianity towards church, I'm telling you right now, you will never be satisfied. It will never be good enough. You show up in that church with your selfish motives and, hey, I like this preaching, I like this music, I like this building, I like these programs. I'm getting what I want out of this experience. How long does that last before it's not enough for you? We need to grow up and spiritually mature and make the mission of Jesus and the needs of others and their need for salvation needs to be more important than our desire to be catered to. Let me say that again. Those people who are lost, who don't know Jesus as their Savior, their need for salvation 
must become more important to us than our desire to be catered to. Christians, if you're newer here, let me give you a heads up. I don't cater to you. Right? Haven't you learned that? I don't cater to you. No. Because their need for salvation is more important than you're being catered to. Isn't that true? Do you know what it's like if you had this experience to walk into church as a visitor somewhere and the people act like it's an inconvenience that you're there? Have you had that experience? Or maybe you walk into a church somewhere and you just feel like they just want something out of you. Well, sign up for this. Put money in the plate. Volunteer for this. What can I get out of this new person? Have you felt that? That self-centeredness that some Christians have, that some churches seem to, to imbibe this whole attitude of what can we get out of the people who show up here? That's so ugly. You don't want to be a part of a church like that. Neither do I. Because selfishness is ugly. It's repulsive. We don't want to be around it. But when those of us who are followers of Jesus, if we let go of our own selfish interests, our selfish desires, if we actually make other people's needs more important than our own wants, let me say that again, if we make other people's needs more important than our own wants, do you realize how attractive that makes us? That's so, you don't encounter that in this world. That's so countercultural for a group of people, a group of Christians to say, your needs are more important than my wants. Whoa, that is magnetic. <laughs> that is attractive. And if we do what Scripture tells us, if we do what Paul has laid out here, if we do what God has commanded and make their needs more important than our own interests and desires and wants, we will be so irresistibly attractive. We will be irresistible, baby. Irresistible. And when we live out this extreme form of selflessness, we will draw people into our lives. We will draw people into this church community, and we will draw people into the life and the message of Jesus Christ. Amen? Please stand as you are able as we join together in our closing prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, we look to you first and foremost as our Savior, as our God. We look to you also as our teacher, as our friend, as our supporter. We also look to you, Jesus, as the ultimate example. And Jesus, you lived your life dedicated to serving others, dedicated to sacrificing for the self, for the sake of others. And should, Jesus, we look to the cross and we look at what you've done for us. And we believe the wisdom of what we see in Scripture, that it is so important to live for others, to make their needs more important than our wants. But, Jesus, you know how tough that is. And so, Father God, let us find encouragement in the cross. Let us find encouragement in the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus, let us live out your example of making others and their needs more important than our own wants. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.